Good morning, Central. Good morning. That's right. How's everybody doing today? Are you, did you wake up and you look at the, did you look at the calendar? And did you panic a little bit? Did you get a little bit excited about how close Thanksgiving break is? All of those things could be true. We could both be excited about Thanksgiving break. <laughs> it's okay, I'll stand right here. Uh, did we, could it could be true that we both are very excited about Thanksgiving break, and we're maybe a little bit panicked about the amount of time left in the semester, right? Right? Yeah. It's fine. We can do it, guys. We can get through this semester, right? That's what I'm starting all my classes these days with. We can do this, and... We can give glory to God in the midst of it. Well, I am excited to be speaking with you and to you at chapel today. And I am so appreciated the path that Pastor Zach has been leading us on this whole semester as we find ourselves a part of God's bigger story. Now, those of you, and I see many of you today, uh, who are in my Old Testament class that meets after this, and you know that it has often happened that the very spot in the scriptural story that Pastor Zach has spoken about in chapel would end up being the very thing that we, are, we were covering that day in Old Testament. I believe that I have seen how the Holy Spirit has worked throughout this semester to tie things together, to put things on our hearts, and to move among us. And I hope that this morning that you'll be able to, the Holy Spirit will lay something in your heart, you'll be able to walk away today with a nugget of truth uh, that you can walk away with and will carry you through the rest of this semester. Well, last week, Pastor Zach talked about this word, right, that kind of wrapped up this story, this saga that he was telling. Who remembers what that word was? And I know last week, Somebody over here was really good about knowing all of the words through this whole semester. Who remembers last week's? She's not here. Okay, who's going to step up in her place? Well, it's the word from last week. Yes! Look at that. Another one has risen. Thank you. All right. Commencement. We began all these weeks ago. Does it even seem possible that we began all these weeks ago in August and here we are in November? But we began all these weeks ago... With what word did we start with? Creation, that's right. And we watched this crisis unfold. We watched uh, the story of, of Christ uh, unfold. And now we have ended last week, right, with this commencement, looking forward to the endings, right? To the endings, the, the, be the new beginnings right, which is also where we're literally at this semester, right? We were looking forward to the ending of the semester, right? Amen? All right, we can do this. So we began and we, began and we have uh, landed in the spot. And along the way, right, along the way, we um, had Pastor Brian in, and he talked about what it looks like to become followers of Jesus. And many responded to that opportunity. And many came even to Central already as followers of Jesus. Well, whether you are someone who made a new commitment this semester, or you are somebody who has been following Jesus for a long time, today I want to talk about 
So what do we do now? That's a great story. What do we do now? I want to talk about what our role is in living out this story. What does it look like to be a day-to-day follower of Jesus? And the scripture that I want to look at this morning comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, my Old Testament class, they know this, and I probably could even get them to stand up and recite it, but I won't do that. You're welcome. (laughs) And these verses were given to the people in the Old Testament after God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And God gave them Deuteronomy. God gave them these passages in Deuteronomy to remind them that they were a new people, no longer marked by their slaveholders in Egypt, and that they were his people. They were his followers. And this is what it looked like to follow God. So listen to these ancient words, and they are up on the screen. Listen to these ancient words this morning. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, they were to recite this prayer daily. And it was to be a reminder every single morning that a relationship with the Most High, the one true God, meant that their bodies, their conversations, their travels, their homes, were all a part of the way that they loved God. It was to shape the choices that they made throughout the day and the people of God that they were becoming. In fact, that's why it begins with a command, right? Hear, O Israel. Listen up, right? We could say, listen up, O Israel. And that hearing implies a response, right? It implies not just that they audibly discern the words, but that they do something in response. It is much like your professors, right, want a response from you when they are speaking. True? My class, my class knows. Yes, they're already shaking their heads. Yes, they want a response. We want a response, right? And God wanted them not just to take in these words. God wanted them to do something as a response right? And it was, in, it was followed, if you look up on the screen, it's followed immediately by an acknowledgement of who God is, right? The Lord our God, the Lord is one. This was an acknowledgement of which God Israel was following, right? There were many false gods around them. There were many groups that worshiped multiple gods, and they were saying, we worship the one true God, And then it keeps moving, right? It moves into another command. What's the next command? Love the Lord your God. Now, in our culture, when we hear love, right, when we hear that word, we often think of it as a feeling word, right? So 
something that um, maybe is a mood or an emotion. I'm in love, right? But in this culture, in this culture, for these ancient followers of God, love was not seen as primarily an emotion like we see it. This isn't about feeling love. This was a call to love, right? Love being a verb there, an action, right? They was to shape their lives, their beings, their response to their relationship with God. You didn't have to try and feel love towards God. You were to love God, right? It's an action. And how does this passage tell us we're to do that, right? With all your heart, right? For the followers of God, this heart, this heart that they're talking about wasn't some sappy seat of emotion. It was a motivating factor in how we were to be in relationship with God and with others. We're to be motivated by love that generates relationships of love. It exists in love. It extends love. All of these things. In fact, when it says that we're to love God with our whole heart, the word there in Hebrew is leb. Leb. That's the word. And uh, one, one particular scholar says, in fact, this is about how, uh, this is how we love God with our leb, okay, this word that we translate as heart. We are called to love the Lord our God with all of our leb. This means we love God with something like the sum total of our heart, emotions, mind. That's really what the Hebrews meant when they were saying what we translate as, as heart. It's heart, emotions, mind. It's all of these things. This kind of loving was not about having the right answers or the right thoughts. As much it was about having an appetite that craves this love. What is certain is that in, to, uh, to love the Lord our God with our heart, we're not giving mental, cognitive agreement to a logical belief. We are extending our intention and our desires in love. Our whole being was to be focused on God, on love. Now, it goes on to say, right, that we're also supposed to love God with our what? What's the second word there? With all our heart and then with all of our soul. That's right. That's right. So how do we love God with our soul? Well, nephesh is the Hebrew word that we translate into English as soul, right? This was originally in Hebrew. We Okay, most of us sitting in this room do not speak Hebrew, right? So we've got to take a step back and go, what's going on here? Well, nephesh then meant something about being animate, being animated, being alive, existing. So again, we just use the word soul. That's really what's behind this word, right? The idea of soul tries to capture this. But soul, the way that we use it in English, does not capture the full meaning. Right? It means all of, these, all of these things about aliveness, animation, movement, all of our being. To love the Lord our God with all our nephesh means to love God with all of our existence. With all of our existence. Now, you'll notice up here, it also says we're to love God with all of our strength. Okay? Um, some translations you have might say might or diligence. It might be translated that way. Really what's going on here in the Hebrew, though, is that word, ma'ad, was really an adverb. It's talking about 
how you were to love God with all your heart and with all your soul. So you were to love God diligently or extremely or throughout the dayness, right? It's about how we do those things of loving God with our heart and our soul. We are to love God diligently, day after day. In fact, the scripture then goes on to say, and this is not up here, but it goes on to talk about all of those situations that we're supposed to do those things, right? We're supposed to impress them on our children. We're supposed to talk about them when we sit at home, when we walk along the road, when we go to our classes, when we go back to our dorm room, when I lie down, when we get up. It's supposed to encompass all of the aspects of our life. What's the point of all this? What's the point of all this? The point is this. God was to be at the center and is to be at the center of our daily activities. If we are followers of him, he is to be what animates us, what motivates us, what gets us moving, okay? He's, what's, he's to be a part of our conversations. Now, I don't say all of this to say, here's a big guilt trip. If you're not 24-7 saying the word God, you're failing. That's not at all what this is trying to say. This was not set up is an impossible goal to weigh down the early Israelites. It's not set up as an impossible goal to weigh us down. It is talking about what we are moving towards. Are we moving towards God being the center of our life? Are we moving towards God being the center of our motivation and why we do things and how we interact with others? It was not set up to be um, to weigh us down with this guilt, right? It's focusing on making the next right step. It's like any time we seek a new habit, right? We don't change our lives overnight. We make small changes that add up to big changes, right? All of those, all of you who are athletes in this room can attest to that, right? It's all about if you need to make a change, you don't change your life overnight. You make small changes that build up to bigger changes. And it's the same way with following God, right? We are, are we moving in the direction of more fully loving God in how we live our lives and how we interact with those around us? Now, one of the ways that I have found to be helpful, to be um, beneficial to my own spiritual life is I find it helpful to hear stories of other real, actual people who've done this sort of thing. Okay? It's why my focus and why a lot of my study is in history. Because I want to see how have those who have gone before us lived out faithful Christian lives in the middle of difficult circumstances. Um, so today, I want to tell you the story of a group, in fact, a family, who has done this, who has lived out a life of faithfulness, um, and they actually have a connection to Central and the history of Central. And they have lived out full-hearted, fully-souled love of God. Uh, there should be a picture popping up here, and I want to introduce you to these folks. This is Reverend James uh, and Melinda Suggs. Uh, they were actually a part of Orleans Seminary, which many of you may not know. It was, was in Orleans, Nebraska, and that was actually uh, one of the schools that predated and became Central. Okay? So they have a connection uh, to us. And they had several daughters, Sadie, Katie, Lucinda, Sarah, and Eliza, who were a part of the story of this school. Now, uh, as you can tell, 
right? They were not alive yesterday, right? This is, uh, these pictures date from the late 1800s, and there are parts of their story um, that are difficult. Uh, they, had, they had difficult lives. Uh, James and Melinda, in particular, were held as a part of the chattel slave system in Mississippi before the Civil War. And um, Eliza, who we'll also talk about, uh, was born after the end of the Civil War, so after that type of slavery had ended. But she had a lot of um, uh, the marks of slavery on her body. What I mean by that is this. Her parents were malnourished for many years, and Eliza ended up um, having brittle bone disease um, and could never actually walk on her own. And their story, though, their story that I find so helpful and so motivating speaks to people who had this sure foundation in the midst of suffering that the God of the universe saw them and walked alongside them. And as a result, they wanted to share that love with others. They knew, they knew their faith demonstrated that they understood that when God created humanity, he made them in his image, and he called them good. Now, the Suggs family, I think in many ways, clearly lived out these verses that we've been talking about in Deuteronomy, where we're told, right, that the way, how to respond to, um, to being made in God's image, to being loved by God, right, is to in turn love God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our strength. So this is a picture of their children uh, that were alive at the time. They lost several when they were still enslaved. But they did all of this by being living witnesses, people who showed God's love to others. And there are many stories, many stories that I could tell you uh, from their history. And the two that I'm going to tell you today are taken from a book that Eliza actually wrote uh, and it was published in 1906. It is called Shadow and Sunshine. And she speaks to us directly about how she saw various family members living out this wholehearted, whole-souled diligence to love God. But she also talks very clearly, and this is a message I think we need to hear at a time when many of our lives, many of your lives, are in difficulty. She also talks very firsthand about how the choices um, that other people made affected them, how there was a lot of pain in their story but how they were trying to live out their love of God. So we're going to look at a couple ways that they lived out this wholehearted, whole-souled diligence to love God. Now, as I said, um, I want to tell you a little bit more about Reverend uh, Suggs in particular before I talk about this particular story. As I said, he was born into slavery, and he was actually trained while in slavery uh, to be a blacksmith. And after he escaped slavery, he actually fought for the Union and was wounded. After the war ended, he eventually was able to put his family back together, bring them up north, and settle, uh, settle there. And he was able to support them through, um, through this blacksmithing. Now, Eliza tells us in her book, she tells us about uh, part of her father's early story, what led him from being a blacksmith to being a pastor. He says this, one night the Lord spoke to him plainly. He said it was like an audible voice saying, either preach the gospel or work at your trade. 
And he said, and he trembled as he felt the responsibility of leading souls to Christ. He was to go on, and he set aside his blacksmithing, and he was to go on and become an ordained elder in the Free Methodist Church. And he came actually out to Kansas, and later then went to Nebraska as a preacher. When he was still in Kansas in those early days, uh, this would be about the 1870s or so, um, that would have been no easy task to be a preacher, to support your family through farming, uh, to live in a sod house, all of these things that they were doing in those early days. Um, and this, so this in and of itself was no easy task. But in her, and she outlined several stories about some of those hardships. But Eliza also tells this story about an episode that really shook the foundations of their family, but it also to me clearly represents that James had this wholehearted love for God despite what was happening around him. Hear these words from Eliza. But while he was thus working earnestly to build up God's kingdom, now again, she's writing this in around 1900, so the language might be a little unfamiliar, but she's talking about how her dad was out there preaching. Satan was just as busily at work to hinder and destroy his labors. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee. Ah, here was Peter's only strength. I have prayed for thee, for thee. In the power of those prayers, and in that alone, could he overcome. And the same old enemy is in the world today, and his hatred and his spite towards God's children as just as strong as in Peter's day. He still desires to have God's little ones, that he may sift them as wheat. And here she gets to the heart of the story. The powers of darkness were now turned loose upon Father. Wicked men laid hands upon him and took him to prison. This occurred on the campground at Marvin, Kansas. One afternoon, as he was preaching, after he was preaching, someone came up to him and said, Brother Suggs, someone wants to see you. And he was led out, supposing he was going to have a talk with some old friend or with someone who was inquiring the way to God, as many such came to him for counsel. And he found himself being handcuffed and being hurried away between two disguised detectives who accused him of being one Harrison Page, an escaped murderer. In vain, he pleaded ignorance. You are Harrison Page, said his accusers. Your name is not James Suggs. You are a murderer. Imagine his surprise. But the Lord blessed him right there. And as he was led away, he was heard praising the Lord. Now, doubtless, she goes on to say, it was the intention and expectation of the enemy in making this bold accusation to silence Father forever from preaching. But in this, the devil overshot the mark. Father never ceased preaching on this account. But on the other hand, it gave him new opportunities for preaching the gospel. Even in jail, he held meetings, and one man who heard him was converted and called to preach. Father lived convictions on his accusers. He talked to them about their souls, and their hard hearts melted. They knew he was innocent and really wanted to get rid of him before they could do so. His accusers were afterward arrested and brought to trial. <coughs> After Father was cleared and released, and while waiting for his accusers' trial, he started a meeting in Orleans, Kansas. Thus God caused the wrath of man to praise him and open new and unexpected doors for the spread of the gospel. 
This arrest and seizure of father, the suspense which followed, were a strange and hard ordeal for the family at home. My mother has been through the fire, but the same God who was with her in slavery days was with her at this time, and father was mercifully restored to his family, safe and sound, and went on his way rejoicing. Here is a man living out his love of God no matter the circumstances. Arrested falsely? Let's start preaching to those I'm in prison with. Let me start trying to reach out to those who have brought me to this place. Oh, I have to stay a little bit while uh, in Osborne. I can't go home yet. I've got to stick around for this trial. Okay, I'll start a new church here. This is a man who, no matter his circumstances, said, I'm going to love God as best I can in this situation, and I'm going to tell others about this love. Again and again, Eliza tells stories of her father working through hardship and difficult circumstances, living out this love of God, right? This is a man who had lived through, at this point, unimaginable circumstances. He had been separated from his family as a toddler, lived much of his life in slavery, fought in the Civil War only to be wounded, and yet once again, uh, accused, accused falsely, and yet once again he responded to God wholeheartedly in day-to-day diligence, living out a love of God. But when I think of what it would look like to live out whole-souled diligence, whole-souled love of God, I think of Eliza. This is a woman who, by worldly standards, had everything stacked against her. Right? She's living in the late 1800s, early 1900s. She cannot walk on her own. She has to be carried around or pushed around in a cart. Um, She had little way of earning her own keep. But she saw her whole self as loved by God, and she wanted to return that love by telling others about it. So let me tell you a little bit more about her story. She says this in her own words. My father moved to Orleans to give us children the benefit of school. We settled close to the seminary to be handy to school and church. But still no one thought it possible for me to attend school until in 1889, my dear friend Emma Hillman, now Mrs. Emma Haviland, was principal of the seminary. And God put it in her heart to give me a chance to go to school. She came to see my mother and offered to give me free tuition in the seminary and urged mother to send me. And so every day I was wheeled to school in my my invalid chair. Eliza would go on to be a popular preacher and speaker at church meetings. She would go on to write this book, Shadow and Sunshine, which was published in, uh, in the early 1800s. She actively chose the life that she lived. Now that might seem a strange thing to say about a woman who I said had all of this stacked against her. And in fact, during this time in American history, one of the few methods of earning money for people with disabilities like Eliza was to be a part of a circus or a museum. And Eliza, though, tells us in her own words why she turned down that life, which would have afforded her more material comfort. And I think this really gets at the heart of her whole soul diligence in loving God. She says this, There have been persons who would say to my mother, why don't you take her to the show or museum? There couldn't be any harm, and you could make your living easily. And others would say, there's a fortune in that girl. Quite recently, a gentleman said to my niece, as he saw me for the first time, there is ready 
money. But dear reader, God did not create me for this purpose. He created me for his glory. And if I can help but anyone, and if God can get glory to his name out of my life, amen. To this end, I shall live. It's never been a temptation to me to want to go to a show or be with a museum for money-making purposes. I once went to a museum in Chicago just to see and learn, and I was asked by one there why I did not speak to the manager and get a place in the museum and make lots of money. Oh no, such places are not for me. God wants me to live for him, and I could not do it there. This is a woman who understood that she was made in the image of God and that her response was to love him with her whole soul. I think the Suggs family as a whole represents the best of who we are, who we could be in this Orleans Central College tradition. Their central belief, what motivated them, was that they were fully, they were fully made in the image of God. They were full human beings who knew God and who wanted to love others. And that is a model for all of us. And let me tell you, if you ever get a chance to read this book, she does not shirk, she does not shy away from, she does not downplay what had been done to them, the pain that had been caused them by others who wanted to treat them as less than fully human. But she shares how God walked alongside them and how they in turn wanted to share that love of God with others. And I hold them up as people whose words can teach us today. They can help us to fully model God's love. If they could do it in those circumstances, can we not do it in ours? So what does it mean to live this bigger story? Well, thinking back to Deuteronomy, right? We're to love God with our heart, with our soul, with our might, right? Living the bigger story means daily seeking to align our story, our lives, with God's every single day. Getting up, saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And that's my prayer for us today, that God would help us to take a step further in the direction of wholeheartedly loving him of wholeheartedly, whole soul, our whole soul loving him. And so I ask you, is that your story today? Did you wake up and ask God to help you do that? Here's the cool thing. Here's the cool thing we've learned all along. Even if we didn't do that this morning, God gives us opportunity after opportunity throughout the day to change our course. God gives us opportunity after opportunity in our lives to change our course. Did you wake up today not following Jesus and now you want to? You can change your course. Did you wake up today as a follower of Jesus who wasn't quite feeling it? You can ask God today, right now, to help change your course, to take a step in the right direction. So as we think about what our next step today should be, I want to pause and pray before we dismiss. If you bow your heads with me, let's pray. God, for those of us who want to take steps further in the direction of following you 
wholeheartedly and with our whole soul. I pray that you give us, that you show us the next step. For those of us who have not yet made any steps in that direction of following you, of loving you, Lord, I pray that you would give grace, that you would give them people in their lives that want to talk to them and want to help them start that path. I pray that we would be sensitive wherever we are on that path today, where somebody else is at, Lord. I pray that we would uh, keep on keeping on through this semester, giving each other a little bit of grace, a whole lot of grace, and a little bit more grace. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, you're dismissed.